Welcome to this edition of the Board of Pharmacy Specialties podcast channel. I'm Bill Ellis, and I have the privilege to serve as the BPS Executive Director. Our mission within BPS is to improve patient care by promoting the recognition and value of specialized training knowledge and skills in pharmacy and the specialty board certification of pharmacists. Through this podcast series, we'll feature conversations with a wide range of board-certified pharmacists and other subject matter experts. We're going to interview these leaders about how they landed in their current position, their education and training, trials and tribulations, and their thought process and mindset that helped make them successful. We will look for our guests to provide solid advice on how to overcome challenges, both small and large, and help our listeners stand out in today's highly competitive healthcare marketplace. Uh, hopefully, this will be a great podcast to check out if you want some insight from pharmacists who are at the forefront of patient care and pharmacy practice. Um, I'm pleased that uh, our co-host for today is Dr. Sam Johnson. Sam serves as the BPS Associate Executive Director, and he's with us today. Welcome, Sam. Thank you, Bill. I'm looking forward to talking with today's guest, as I know he will provide our listening audience with some good information about the value of board certification to patients and healthcare systems. I agree. Let's not keep our audience waiting. Why don't you introduce our guest and let's get started. It would be my pleasure. Today's guest is Dr. Stanley Shaw. Dr. Shaw received his bachelor's and master's degrees in pharmacy from South Dakota State University. He went on to earn his PhD from Purdue University in bionucleonics with a minor in pharmacy in 1962 and subsequently joined the faculty. Dr. Shaw has made significant contributions to nuclear pharmacy education, research, and professional practice over his 50-year career. Dr. Shaw was also named the very first recipient of the BPS Warren E. Weaver Richard P. Penna Award. The Weaver Penna Award is awarded to an individual or organization who has advanced health quality and or patient care by promoting the recognition and value of specialized training, knowledge, and skills in pharmacy. Stan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. You've had the good fortune of a 50-plus year career. How have you seen nuclear pharmacy education, training, and practice sort of change over time? What are some of your observations from those earliest days to to more recently? Fantastic difference. Just remember that when I got involved and we started at Purdue, their education was all graduate. Masters, PhDs, there were no undergraduate courses at all, except something like our one-credit Mickey Mouse course, which really didn't help anybody, but it was something. So the first thing that has changed, regrettably, is that the master's and PhD programs have somewhat disappeared. And in that place, uh, we now have more undergraduate programs. And so early on in the 1970s, mid-70s, schools of pharmacy got involved, and there were quite a few undergraduate programs which would provide quite a bit of information so the students could think about going into the field. So we had graduate at that time, we had undergraduate at that time, but as years have gone by, those programs have disappeared as well. There are very few undergraduate programs anymore in colleges of pharmacy. And there's a reason for it. There's not a large volume or call because the field grew, but now it's sort of an equilibrium in some ways in in the commercial centralized. And the second thing is, if I educated a young man from southern Indiana and there was a job in Virginia, he'd say, I can't go to Virginia. I have to go to Indiana. That's where I grew up. 
So the companies were concerned about getting individuals that were properly trained from the region. So we uh, came up with what we call, uh, I call them short courses. We have a certificate program. If you want to get into nuclear, you could take a short course, and a lot of them now are, are online, and then you could get into nuclear pharmacy without having to leave your family, without having to go away somewhere. So so those things have happened now. We have a lot of uh, undergraduate, or uh, might, you might say undergraduate opportunities, but they're mostly through short courses online. When we started in the 1970s, you weren't really worried about clean rooms. Now today you need a clean room. USP has changed everything. That's one thing that's changed. And the second thing that's changed is PET. In the 1970s, PET was a dream. 1980s, maybe. 1990s, that's getting better because now maybe someone's going to actually pay for this procedure. Better know it's insurance agents or insurance companies and things like that. So PET has really blossomed, and no one ever dreamed that there'd be something called a baby cyclotron. And baby cyclotrons allowed hospitals to actually produce or uh, the radionuclides to make a pro PET product and before you had to have these huge cyclotrons which are rare and expensive. And so that changed things and pets suddenly became more useful. And now we have a generator. You can actually generate, just like technetium 99M generator, you have a generator that will generate a positron emitting radionuclide so you can use that. So now you can have your own generator. You don't even need a baby cyclotron. So pet is really blossoming as a practice area. So we have still have the commercial, what we call single photon, but we also now have PET that's becoming exciting. Well, you know that uh, BPS' newest specialty next year is going to be compounded sterile preparations. Much of our early discussion to even pursue that, among many factors, it was not lost that nuclear pharmacy was a technical specialty with skills and that there was certainly some overlap here and it made sense and I think helped help move that specialty forward. I agree, and it's been very helpful both ways. I think that, you know, I sort of laugh and grumble a little bit about what's come upon us, but really it's always best for the patient. That's yeah. the whole idea anyway. So I think that's the goal of everybody. They're not trying to shortchange the patient. So we, we have to do things differently now. You think there are some challenges or opportunities for growth? Now, FDA in its wisdom, decided that PET is manufacturing. So for um, our non-nuclear folks, let me see if I get this right, positron emission therapy, is that PET? Positron emission tomography. Tomography, okay. It, it's not therapy, it's okay. diagnosis. Okay. But uh, it is considered by the FDA as manufacturing. However, uh, at the same time, there are the pharmacy aspects. If I have a cyclotron and I manufacture a product, we still are concerned about it. Is it a pyrogenic? What's the sterility? Uh, is it radionuclide pure and so on? So you still have that pharmaceutical quality that uh, you really need a good pharmacist to be involved. So that that's an opportunity. And, and with the new generators coming along, that's another opportunity. So that exists. Another, you, you mentioned the word therapy. Therapy radiopharmaceuticals are now becoming a reality. When we started in the 1930s, and that wasn't me in the 1930s, I was born in the 1930s, but they started with I-9131 for therapy for uh, the thyroid. Yeah. That was one of the early early therapeutic radiopharmaceuticals. It was a long time before we really started to get uh, radio 
labeled compounds that could be used for therapy. And that's because the radionuclide is a little more dangerous. It could be an alpha emitter or a beta emitter. Typical diagnostic are gamma. Gamma is really good. It's great. It's like x-ray. It's good for you. It feels warm. No, it's just kidding. But uh, it, it really is not dangerous at all. But when you do uh, therapy, you've got to be sure that the product's going to localize, that it's not going to go somewhere else in the body. But that's happening now. Uh, it probably has less opportunity, but in some way, and maybe financially it's not, uh, doesn't pay. But radiologic pharmacy, um, hospital in inspections now have become much more uh, adamant about the hospital pharmacist being involved with all drugs associated with imaging. So if you have MRI, CT, ultrasound, as well as radiopharmaceuticals, there are drugs associated with every one of those. And today, the hospital accrediting bodies say the pharmacist should be involved in assuring that the products are proper and that you're getting the right products. So if I'm a nuclear pharmacist, even in a commercial centralized facility, I could offer my knowledge and services. Or if I'm the hospital pharmacist, then I can grab onto that and become involved in the P&T committee for things like that. So that's another exciting area. And I've got one more. Okay. Gray hair, no hairs. In the 1970s, 1980s, we had master's people going into hospitals. They're going to retire. Who's going to take their place? There are no more masters. It's a PharmD, or a good BS, whatever, who has had training in commercial centralized nuclear pharmacy that has to step up to the plate and get into those hospitals and take care of those patients in the way that the masters has done it. And that's a reality that's happening. So there are a lot of opportunities. Well, and to your point, Stan, so what words of wisdom would you offer this, this new generation of pharmacists now, the young pharmacists who have joined the profession? Same words I'd offer any student at Purdue. Don't just sit on your bump. Get out, learn, grow. Something new comes along, grab onto it. If you look at nuclear pharmacy and where it is today, it became what it is because of a few people who got out of the ordinary and said, I'm going to be able to take my knowledge and apply it to this new area, and I'm going to make it grow. And that's continuing today. That's continuing in your world. That's the groups that you're going to board certify and recognize in the future. And why wouldn't you want to be involved in something like that? Well said. That's what I would do. Stan, thank you for sharing your thoughts with our podcast listeners. Unfortunately, we're about out of time for today, but want to thank you for coming in and sharing your perspective uh, with us. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the BPS podcast series on the BPS podcast channel. Be sure to follow BPS on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. This podcast is brought to you by the Board of Pharmacy Specialties. Be sure to look for BPS on the web at www.bpsweb.org.